Welcome to Gridlock Break, a no-labels podcast featuring one-hour conversations with elected officials and thought leaders from across the political spectrum. Tune in weekly to hear insightful and nonpartisan perspectives on how America can solve our toughest problems. Today we'll hear from Charles Reddick, who currently serves as the 49th Commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service. In this role, he leads the agency in charge of collecting more than $3.5 trillion in tax revenue each year which represents about 96% of the total gross receipts of the United States. Let's listen in. Uh, Good evening, and I want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. Uh, We're thrilled to have IRS Commissioner Charles Reddick with us this evening. Since joining the IRS, Mr. Reddick has been heavily focused on improving service to the nation's taxpayers, balancing appropriate enforcement of the nation's tax laws, while respecting taxpayers' rights, with particular focus on traditionally underserved communities. These efforts include the modernization or the implementation of the multi-year IRS Integrated Modernization Plan and the Taxpayer First Act. Previously, Mr. Reddig was with the law firm of Hockman, Salkin, Reddig, Tosher, and Perez, PC, in Los Angeles for more than 36 years. Mr. Reddick has held leadership roles in a number of professional organizations, most recently serving as vice chair administration for the American Bar Association's section on taxation and president of the American College of Tax Council. The commissioner will give remarks and then I'll follow up with a few questions. Mr. Reddick, again, thanks for you being joining with us tonight. Thank you very much, Alan. Um, you know, I go by I go by Chuck, and uh, you'll I think you'll find out I'm a fairly informal guy. Um, very privileged to be in the position that I'm in. Very thankful that you invited us to, um, you know, participate this evening. And uh, you know, should you have questions going forward, feel free to to reach out. I'm going to touch on the overriding um, presentation, if you will, is really sort of the role of the IRS and maybe some things that most people don't think of when they think of the Internal Revenue Service, and um, then some views and some changes that we've done in the last couple of years and sort of the path forward where we're headed. But normally, I like to open up by sort of giving just a brief glimpse of, um, so to put things in perspective as as I'm going forward, brief glimpse of myself so you can see actually why we've done what we've done, where we are, and uh, and the rest, and uh, essentially, um, by training, I was a tax lawyer, as Alan said, 36 years out in Los Angeles, came on board of the Internal Revenue Service, having interacted with the Re- Internal Revenue Service, Department of Justice, uh, numerous state taxing authorities uh, as, a, as a tax counsel, and um, really never saw myself doing something other than what I was doing. Um, you know, my friends, my family, my house, and everything else in Los Angeles. My wife and I made the journey to Washington, D.C., and uh, I'm very proud to say that I am the first commissioner whose spouse came into this country as a refugee. And if you start check- checking these boxes, you'll see where we're headed in terms of underserved communities and whatnot. But um, for those of you, you know, my, around my age, uh, my wife was a boat person. Uh, she was 11 when um, the last helicopters left the U.S. Embassy in uh, Saigon. And uh, she's number two of seven children. The seven children, two parents were on the embassy grounds. And if, <clears throat> excuse me, if you've seen Rory Kennedy's last days of Vietnam, you know that 411 people were left behind. Three weeks later, 
they came, took her dad, and he was put in a uh, uh, re-education camp, if you will, where he lost an eye, lost his teeth, became disabled while being re-educated. Uh, my wife at age 11, her sister at age 12, sold tobacco leaves on the streets of Saigon, and it was really a survival mode. And she ultimately escaped on her ninth try, 101 people, 27-foot boat, nine days at sea, rescued at sea, taken to a refugee camp for nine months, and ultimately made her way into Los Angeles. Um, prior to meeting her, I thought I was sensitive to a lot of different situations and people and, and the rest, having grown up in Los Angeles, a very multicultural environment. But I will tell you that uh, to this day, I've never said to her, gee, I understand what it was like being on that boat uh, for nine days or the other eight efforts that she did to escape, um, simply because I was not on that boat. And this ties in, Alan, to some of our discussions later about uh, diversity, underserved communities and, and whatnot. My in-laws ultimately made it out of Vietnam. They live in um, a little Saigon in California and they basically do not speak English. And so you'll see when I talk about what we've done in the languages, uh, I'm very proud about what the IRS has done within the last year in the languages. And similarly, I'll tell you, I'm somewhat embarrassed that in 2021, for the first time, this agency took a real look at languages and underserved communities and whatnot. Uh, I have a daughter who's a veterinarian and I have a son who is a medical officer in the United States Army. He's a major and uh, he has deployed twice. And I think if you take those components and you put it together, you now probably know everything you need to know about me, background, focus. Uh, my dad was also an immigrant, uh, went into the Navy out of high school and uh, I think that pretty much capsulizes where you're going to see where the IRS is headed in the last few years. And I think where we're hoping to head in the future. I'm extremely proud to say that I work for the IRS. I work with a spectacular group of people here that um, people have said to me, well, what, how do you characterize your leadership style? And my real leadership style is, to, if you will, to support the troops. I support every employee. I think virtually every employee here would tell you that they know me. They know my background. They know um, that I have their back. Um, since day one, you know, pre-pandemic, every lunch was in an IRS cafeteria somewhere where there's no labels to, uh, I guess, pun intended, but literally no labels. There's no commissioner's table. And I sit down with whoever's willing to sit with me. Um, and uh, we have real discussions about real issues and why they're here. I've learned, you know, probably as much sitting at those lunch tables as I have certainly sitting in my office and um, people realize that they're you know, pretty free to talk. This is normally very similar to a military structure, at least before I got on board, of um, you know, tell the person that runs the trains what he wants to hear, but that wouldn't change the agency. And when I got on board, somebody, my chief of staff at the time said, you know, most people who come out in your position essentially um, keep the lids on the pot, so essentially you know, make no mistakes and whatnot. That's not my personality. That's not why I came across country with my wife. It's not why we're here. I'm not here looking for my next position. Um, I'm very comfortable with myself, my world, my family, and uh, the business side of the house, if you will, of myself. And uh, did leave my dream job with my best friends, but came on board to, to try to make a difference. And um, if, if, the, if the game plan was to keep the lids on the pots, what I explained to my chief of staff at the time, I'm going to send a bunch of duct tape and I'm going back to Los Angeles. They don't need me for that. But uh, what every employee at the IRS has heard since I came on board is let's swing for the fences. We're going to make some mistakes. I made mistakes on the outside. I've made mistakes on the inside. 
But the mistakes we make, we make by trying to um, you know, improve, if you will, the mission of the IRS and all lanes of the IRS. So um, I've challenged every um, leader, you know, we call it senior executive team, come up with 10 new ideas. You've been here a long time, come up with 10 ideas you wanted to try. And if each leader, there's about 70 executives, if each one was to hit two of the 10, this agency would move forward considerably. If we don't even try, then we're gonna be the same old, same old. And um, what I told them is they own the two and I own the eight. And we'll take a look at the eight and we'll, we'll come back next year. We'll tweak it a little bit and move forward. Very strong presence of this is one agency. Uh, we've broken down a lot of silos. We're in the process of what we call modernizing the IRS, which is a significant change, not only in the organizational structure, the footprint, if you will, but how we do things and uh, how we interact with others. Um, we are trying to build a modernized IRS, which is in, uh, emphasis on service, compliance, and enforcement. As you can guess, we deal with the most unsophisticated taxpayers uh, in the country and, and outside of the country, as well as the most sophisticated individual and corporate taxpayers um, inside and outside the country. And so we need to do our best with respect to all. Um, certainly we deal with probably, you know, maybe up to 10 million individuals who do not have broadband, don't have a smartphone. They need to interact individually in person or come into one of our facilities. And um, you know, millions and millions of people who are not comfortable in the English language or not fluent in the English language. So that's kind of an overview, if you will, of sort of the IRS and sort of what we're looking at. Um, by the numbers, our um, gross revenue for each of the last two years has been right around $3.5 trillion. We have 83,000 employees, 511 facilities throughout the world. The $3.5 trillion is about 96% of the gross revenue of the United States of America, the other 4% being essentially uh, customs duties and, and the equivalent. So um, for years before me, commissioners have gone up to the Hill, tried to get additional funding on basically economics. I'm an economics major from UCLA, but <clears throat> economics saying that the IRS has a history of returning about a, between five and seven to one return on investment up to the hill, that really, uh, if you will, hasn't brought home funding. Having a child in the military, when you see your child in their military uniform, either a dress uniform or in the camis and they're wearing the flag on the shoulder, it's no secret what they do or who they do it for. Um, given that we're 96% of the gross revenue of the country, we took a look and we were one of two agencies before I got on board that did not in some manner incorporate the United States flag in their materials or in their logo. Um, we now incorporate the flag in our materials, in our logo, in our PowerPoints uh, to let people know that a successful country depends in part on a successful internal revenue service. And we interact with you know, more Americans than any, any other public or private entity uh, anywhere in the world. And we try to do so to the best of our abilities, but we certainly have um, funding issues and have had funding issues um, going back I think that um, you know I got on board and there was a 35-day lapse in appropriations, which essentially shut down the agency. And former commissioners were saying, well, you'll never have that experience again. That's the worst part of your term. I'm on a term that expires November uh, 12, 2022. You'll never have that kind of experience again. We went through, we opened up coming out of the lapse in filing season and um, went through 19, went into 20. And uh, I learned, and as we all did, 
uh, a lot about COVID, a lot about a pandemic, what happens to a country that enters that type of an environment. Um, and I'll touch on some of that in terms of how it, in, how it reacted, how it interacted with the country, how it interacted with our employees and whatnot. But there were some silver linings. Uh, I think we went from a lot of people looking at us as a tax administration, some people a tax collection agency. Uh, some commissioners before me said we were essentially a data warehouse, a data processing agency. And COVID gave us a chance to really, uh, we didn't ask for the challenges, but show people that we could uh, step into the challenges. And we like to say um, it allowed us the opportunity to illustrate the importance of every American to the Internal Revenue Service, as well as the importance of the Internal Revenue Service to every American. The employees here, over 10% of our employees are veterans, obviously a far higher number of military families, but the folks here are proud to serve our country in the manner that the IRS serves the country. To do that, we need appropriate funding. We need to be able to provide really meaningful services. Um, of the nature and quality that you would hope, you know, the greatest country on the planet has the ability to, pro to provide. What the pandemic allowed us to do was to touch people who we don't normally touch in a very positive way. Uh, we distributed historic, um, you know, relief payments starting in March of 2020 and continuing until today. And, uh, you know, we, this all hit us when we were suffering huge resource challenges, and we got um, additional challenges, if you will. The IRS, before I got on board, <clears throat> excuse me, like to say that they step up to the challenges, et cetera, et cetera. Well, well, no agency and certainly no federal agency is seeking out those particular opportunities, particularly when we um, did have funding challenges. We've scaled back a lot of operations. We tried the agency, uh, certainly before me, tried to not scale back the visible um, activities, but definitely scaled back the less visible activities. Uh, my theory of the world is a little different that, um, you know, people need to know who we are and the challenges that we have. And uh, we need to be, if you will, in every neighborhood. So from an examination perspective, we need to be touching everyone. From a service perspective, we need to be touching everyone. Um, you know, that we can't just shut off certain lanes and complain that we didn't need, get, we didn't get the funding. Congress controls the funding. We're very proud of our relationship with Congress. We are an impartial, non-political <clears throat> agency, but the funding comes from Congress. And I think that, you know, there's, there's a bunch of people up there. They all look at us differently, but they, they understand us. But really what came about during this past year allowed, I think, you know, members of Congress to take a different look. And, um, you know, it's, it's easy to say, um, public or private, you know, but certainly like every federal agency, the IRS is, is best able to do the job that it can do um, when we get the resources that we need to do our job. We have not historically had sufficient resources to um, do our job. And I said recently, you know, one of the roles of a commissioner is to testify up on the Hill. And uh, among other terms, I use the term that we get outgunned. And uh, you know, I used to be on the outside on the other side of that, that table. <clears throat> the IRS and the United States government should not be outgunned. We should be able to pick our scenarios. We should know where we need to go. And similarly, we need to know where we should not go. Um, if you will, lessening the burden on, on taxpayers means not auditing, not examining, not going after, if you will, taxpayers we shouldn't go after. And the, the more information we have in certain lanes, the more our systems are modernized, the better we're able to select taxpayers that uh, might have audit potential and to stay away from those 
that don't have audit potential. So the agency has been chasing, if you will, um, what we refer to as consistent, timely, multi-year funding. Um, it's very hard to plan for the next year when we don't know what we're gonna get or when we get funds late in this year. And all of that comes into play historically as to um, the IRS itself. On the table, just quickly touching the president's budget proposals, <clears throat> which we are you know, hugely in line with and incredibly supportive of, but the current um, proposal for our 2022 budget, we're on a fiscal year that ends in September 30, is a 10.4% increase in our discretionary budget to $13.2 billion. If you take a look inside of that, you'll see that uh, the largest increases over 21 are in business systems modernization, which is almost a 37% increase, and taxpayer services, which is a little over 13.5% increase. There's a lot of talk on the street about, um, you know, the president wants to uh, radically increase IRS enforcement. There's going to be, you know, IRS agents knocking on your doors and whatnot. Um, this agency needs to know what doors to knock on. And there's, uh, you know, I can tell you uh, there's some doors you would want us to knock on and we need to know what doors not to knock on. That's modernization. Modernization of our systems allows us to do um, a more private sector experience for the people that we interact with. <clears throat> and I expect us to get there. The other two budget proposals are a program integrity allocation adjustment as it's referred to and the American Families Plan, which the American Families Plan provides a 10-year mandatory stream of funding. And in combination, those two are essentially to build back the IRS. Um, we are down 17,000 enforcement personnel. And you can say, well, with technology, you might not need all 17,000. Um, we are examining, if you will, um, some of the most sophisticated folks in the world who similar, have similar, similar technology, the tax code did not get less complex over the last 10 years. And um, we've had a very difficult time, um, you know, hiring and retaining. The agency had a uh, hiring freeze from 2011 to 2018. So we've got a huge gap there. We had significant hiring in 2019, significant hiring in 2020, and we're on the road to uh, historic hiring in our fiscal 21 with, um, uh, some portion of these budget proposals, we will have historic uh, hiring again in 2022. And, um, you know, I can just tell you, having been on the outside and having difficulty communicating with the Internal Revenue Service and being on the inside and having to explain those difficulties, uh, these hirings are, are necessary. It's necessary for the agency that collects 96% of gross revenue in this country to essentially do its job. Um, we, we, you know, we intend to get there and we tend to do it. So um, as we say, modernization of our systems is essentially to reduce the dependency on our legacy systems. Those of you, you know, CIOs and in the IT world, there's a lot of talk that we have systems that go back to the Kennedy era in 1960. We do not. Um, about 16% of our systems are out of date, which is roughly in line with the, um, you know, the requirements. But we do have coding that goes back to the Kennedy era. And if you're familiar with the term uh, cobalt language, yes, we use cobalt language. I like to joke and say I think it's very secure because I think there's only about eight people on the planet who are familiar with cobalt language. Um, you know, we're getting out of that. 
And, uh, you know, as I'm saying this, I see Commissioner Rosati online, and I'm sure he would have given you the same presentation when he was commissioner that I'm giving you today. And, you know, everybody has faced the same challenges. And he has been incredibly supportive of uh, where we're headed with the administration and from a budget perspective. But turning to the pandemic and the impact of the pandemic, we had to come up with a new way of thinking about tax administration. With the, uh, the, um, we shut down the Internal Revenue Service uh, about March 20 of 2020, uh, shut down 511 facilities, sent home 83,000 employees, uh, called in our attaches who were based overseas. And like the private sector had to figure out how are we gonna accomplish our mission in, uh, in a COVID environment? And what is COVID? What's the impact of it? We have, uh, as I said, 83,000 employees, which is 83,000 different concerns, none of which are right or wrong about it, about themselves, about their families, about their neighborhood, their communities and the country. At the same time in March, uh, we're in filing season. So our filing season typically opens in the end of January and runs through April 15. So uh, what's important is not only the fact of receiving returns and processing returns, but really important is that we process a tremendous amount of refunds uh, for all, all people, but including the most vulnerable communities, the refundable credits, the EITC, the CTC and such. And for many of these folks, this is the single largest payment that they receive each year. So to the extent folks file electronically, generally about 98% of those, uh, we can get out within 21 days. A lot of the challenges are if there's if they hit a filter, that return, even though filed electronically, needs to be looked at by a person. So when we shut down the systems, we were not able to operate well in a virtual environment. Um, we are currently operating extremely well in a virtual environment. And to give you one statistic, you know, we have um, just under 15,000 what I'll refer to as customer service representatives, the, phones, the folks who answer the phone when somebody calls in. In March of 2020, they were 3% telework eligible. Today, they're 100% telework eligible. So even if our facility has, we had the cold snap recently, those folks continued to work from home. So those are some silver linings, if you will, that we have looked at. Uh, what have we done by the numbers in terms of economic impact payments and refunds during the course of the last year? <clears throat> we brought people back in certain capacities, socially distanced. We switched into a virtual environment and we generated three rounds of economic impact payments starting in March of 22 and going to the current. Over 476 million payments, totaling more than $808 billion in the EIP world. And on refunds to mostly to individuals uh, for filing season 2020 and the current filing season, We've issued more than 229 million refunds, totaling more than $609 billion. All in, that's over 705 million payments, totaling more than $1.4 trillion during a pandemic by employees who um, we sent home, we brought back and worked really hard to make this happen. And the first round of EIPs we issued within two weeks. The second round we issued excuse me, within 48 hours. And the third round, we issued within 24 hours. And people say, well, how do you do that? Um, we are not a risk-averse agency in certain lanes. We did all of our homework before there was legislation so that when legislation happened, we were able to essentially hit the buttons and go. And uh, 
with respect to the third round of economic impact payments, <clears throat> there was sort of a visible scenario of a federal agency that waited for legislation, waited for funding to be able to do its homework and provide us the information. And their payments were delayed um, about four weeks. When I talk about um, customer service representatives, this year we've received over 167 million telephone calls, as many as 1,500 calls per second. And our max is 15,000 customer service representatives to answer those calls. <laughs> if you do the math, we're not able to answer every call. 167 million calls is more than four times our normal. Then also factor in that these CSRs, when there's a wildfire, a hurricane, an earthquake, uh, or the cold, and FEMA gets, um, gets to work, we essentially flip a switch, and as many as 3,000 of our 15,000 CSRs start answering phones for FEMA intake purposes. And that's the historic, if you will, guns and butter options that you're uh, left to make as commissioner of an agency like the Internal Revenue Service. <clears throat> it's a fairly easy decision when it's you know trying to help people who've lost a home or whatnot in a natural disaster, but that also greatly impacts the level of service, our ability to answer calls, answer them in a timely manner and, and all the rest. Um, we are in the middle of launching, if you're familiar with the, the advanced child tax credit, we're actually ahead of schedule and it's the same people doing the IT work on that that did EIP 1, 2, 3, filing season 2020, filing season 2021. And we condensed the timeframe for them to do the CIT, CTC work <clears throat> when we extended the tax season this year from April 17 to um, April 15, excuse me, to May 17. So I have asked a lot of our employees, um, more so than I think I would have in the private sector. And they have been, um, there's no other way to describe it, but spectacular. <clears throat> we receive over 1.6 billion cyber, sophisticated cyber attempts each year. So obviously our cyber folks and our IT folks are critical to maintaining and trying to earn the trust and respect of the people that we interact with. And um, I think overall, we do a pretty good job. I think history overall treats, should treat the Internal Revenue Service quite well for what we're able to do. Some other touch points, if you will, Alan, before I come back to you is uh, in terms of tax related identity theft, we're down 90% since 2015. We did a public-private partnership called the Security Summit. It's been hugely impactful and uh, very proud of the relationships that we have there. And uh, this is not an agency that's uh, averse to coordinating with either other agencies or private sector. <clears throat> what are we looking at going forward? Going forward, we obviously have to interact with all types of taxpayers, individuals, corporate, and everybody in between in new and different ways. We are incredibly expanding our virtual opportunities. Um, you know, I'll touch on later, I guess with Alan, but the, the multilingual efforts that we have here, I think have been spectacular. Keep in mind that we serve everybody. Um, combating fraud, maintaining a, you know, a cyber defense, if you will, is huge. Partnering with folks on the outside has, has been huge and look for it to continue to be huge. Uh, we got into things like e-signatures that were just never possible um, pre-pandemic, and uh, you should expect us to continue uh, moving in that direction. Before I turn it over to Alec, Alan, I'm sorry, uh, I want to touch on two points that uh, I'm very proud about uh, the folks here at the Internal Revenue Service. I think are not generally known. So in May of this year, uh, in record time, 
we uh, expanded our facilities in Puerto Rico. We have we are hiring, and we have a very difficult time hiring. Our phone service folks, uh, we tend to be in communities where uh, entities like Amazon are hiring. And so we compete with Amazon, if you will, for folks to answer the phones. It's not unusual for us to do a listing that we need um, 2,000 people to have 600 people apply and out of 600 have maybe 200 be qualified. <clears throat> it's just how it works. After um, uh, two hurricanes and an earthquake, I made a comment about, you know, what about Puerto Rico? And the idea that, you know, the island had been decimated, et cetera, et cetera, and folks can come up to the United States and go back to Puerto Rico when others rebuild the island. And so we took a look at, at expanding facilities in Puerto Rico. We did a posting for 500 positions, and uh, we got almost twice that um, qualified um, candidates, if you will, uh, who, as it turns out, are multilingual, and that doesn't hurt us at all. We're doing a similar activity um, down in the Delta of uh, Mississippi. We're taking a look as we expand our operations into some underserved communities and actually creating facilities to provide skill sets to folks who can then come on to work at the Internal Revenue Service or perhaps another federal agency. And um, to do that, we are not only expanding, if you will, at the college level and beyond, but uh, expanding our VITA, which is volunteer income tax assistance programs in the high schools in the communities that we're trying to go to. We have VITA programs in the, in the high schools. Uh, we're in more than 100 high schools around the country, sort of um, help people show about giving back, helping, preparing returns for people under certain income, income levels. And in some of the underserved communities where we're looking to expand our footprint, actually create or expand our footprint, Vita is a way to actually touch people who are in high school, help them training programs in, in either two-year or four-year programs, and bring them on board for, for federal jobs. So I think beyond a data processing organization, I think beyond a tax collection organization and a tax administration organization, that this IRS has its eyes on um, some of it self-serving, getting employees and all that, but also giving back to communities and people around the country. The very last thing I would like people to think of when they think of the Internal Revenue Service and funding for the Internal Revenue Service and, you know, um, should they be proud of the Internal Revenue Service? Two points, and I could go on on this one all day long, but this agency is one of the most active federal agencies operating in the dark net and um, virtual currency uh, environment. Uh, about a year ago, um, IRS um, Cyber Crimes Unit, Criminal Investigation Cyber Crimes Unit, <clears throat> identified and led an investigation that led to 338 arrests in 38 countries, uh, including the rescue of 23 actively exploited minors. It was the largest child exploitation site that had been uncovered in history. And the agency that took that from beginning to end was Internal Revenue Service in the form of IRS Cyber Crimes Unit. We are incredibly active in the dark net and um, I have said on occasion that, that uh, we own it. Obviously nobody owns it, that it is a uh, technological uh, challenge for every government and every person. But uh, this commissioner, and I'm sure all that come beyond me, uh, will continue our commitment there. The last point, and then I'll come to you, Alan. About four months ago, um, the same group, IRS Cyber Crimes Unit, um, created a global disruption of three cyber-enabled terrorist financing campaigns. 
involving, we took them all down, announced it on the same day, involving the um, Hamas, involving Al-Qaeda, and involving ISIS. Um, same group, identified it operating in the dark net. We actually seized these three separate sites. We operated these sites for a period of time, then seized them, and um, uh, the funds that were received while we were operating the sites were turned over to the Terrorism Victims Fund. And I think, you know, if you recall nothing else about the, um, you know, the discussion today, um, sleep well, knowing that this agency and people who care, and I put that label on every employee in the agency. I actually refer to the employees as IRS ambassadors, um, that I want them in their communities. I want people to know that they work for the Internal Revenue Service. I want them to be proud of that. And I give them a lot of tools to hold their own in discussions. When people might say, gee, you work for the Internal Revenue Service, or why do you work for the Internal Revenue Service? We got plenty of firepower to make our employees proud. And these are just a few examples of um, what an agency that most people think about in terms of filing a tax return and whatnot, or an examination. Uh, they don't think of us in all of these arenas. But uh, let me assure you that we are in those arenas. So, Chuck, I... I... Uh, I want to thank you. I'm confident that I speak for virtually everyone on the call that we appreciate what you're doing, but more so the um, how you've uh, shown us and told us uh, about the commitment of the IRS ambassadors, as you called them. Perfect. Uh, it it's a shame although there's only so many hours in a day that more people couldn't get an opportunity that we've had tonight to understand everything that you're dealing with and even more so in this time that we've lived through uh, the commitment and effort uh, that all the employees who are too often badly maligned, uh, what they've given back to everybody. So on behalf of everybody here and no labels, uh, I want to thank you, uh, your team, and wish everybody a good night. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, being included. And, um, you know, Alan, um, you know, you probably, you, you put me on my heels with your appreciation for the employees. I came on board for the employees, for taxpayers, for members of Congress, so that people would understand the people of this agency. And, um, you know, my my only hope is people appreciate what the people inside the IRS are trying to do for everyone else. And, uh, you know, I'm a pretty, pretty simple guy. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm huge in trying to just do what we did tonight. Let people know what we're trying to do. But we're not an agency that steps up and says, we get it right every time. And, you know, I tell our employees, historic baseball players might get into the 400s. 20-year All-Stars get into the 300s. If we got into the 300s on things we're trying, I only asked our age, our employees to get into the 200s and I took ownership of the rest. But we've had some real un unfortunate situations with the pandemic, but they have created uh, not only challenges, but an opportunity for our employees to step up and the best of the best, you know, stepped up. And I think also for people to see us for the people that we are. So I'm, I'm privileged to be here. I'm hugely privileged to be here. I'm proud of the people and I'm proud of each of you, you know, for what you're doing and, and for staying on for the hour. And, uh, 
you know, if I rambled on a little too much, I apologize. Uh, I, I can say that um, sometimes in history, people have said, don't give Reddick the mic because he never gives it back, you know, but, uh, you know, a lot of it is the passion for the people here. And so, Alan, the fact, you know, that you called it out, thank you. And I'll let our folks know. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Be well. Go to nolabels.org to learn more about how we are bringing together a bipartisan group of public and private leaders working to solve America's toughest problems. I'm Ryan Clancy, and this has been an episode of Gridlock Break, a No Labels podcast.